Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelley. And welcome to another episode of True North Crime. Indeed, this is the show where we go through crimes that usually have to do with Canadians are, are most of the time in Canada. Yep. And uh, we then analyze some laws or some other element in relation to it. We do. Sometimes well, laws. Sometimes <laughs> laws, sometimes not laws. Yeah, lately we've been straying a little bit. This Today we strayed a little, we're going to stray a little bit from it, but we'll get back there. Well, I mean, well, today there's nothing, there's no real law, point of law to talk about. No. Necessarily, because, I mean, there was some... There's no real prosecution. Well, there was, but it really didn't go anywhere or amount to anything. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> How are uh, you doing? To, You're not feeling well. No, I've had the flu for three days and like every night I've been sweating. I like, I wake up and my shirt last night was like soaked. soaked. Yeah. Oh, it was so gross. And then the worst part is, is like you wake up and you're like, I need to have a shower and then you feel like you're going to pass out in the shower and even though it's really warm you feel like you're getting chills and it's like your muscles are aching and like you can't breathe and it's all it's it's a constant headache and I'm feeling I'm I'm on the other side of it mm-hmm. but man every once in a while I'll be like I feel gr-. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the flu like, yeah you're fine and then you're like nope yeah so so yeah so it's been uh it's been a little up and down so yeah. mm-hmm. how are you nice. doing um, pretty good. It's like the office holiday party season, and my office has two parties. No. Well, I work from home, so that's a me party for me. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> and we have to pay for to go to our parties, which oh. really b- annoys me. Um, because we were doing like these sort of like fundraiser events throughout the fall. Right, and there's always the one person that doesn't contribute. But it's not even that though. So there's all this fundraising. That seem to, I don't generate a fair amount of money. For some reason, we can't know how much, but it's not enough to pay for the party. Someone's skimming just... off the top. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Those five dollar bills. Yeah. Five dollar holla. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is what I'm wrestling with. Do I go to the the next holiday party? I probably will, but yeah. That's Those probably are, a good idea. I guess so. You don't know. Maybe you'll meet a new friend. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anything else going on? Um, just general. The ski hills are now open here, so that's, that's nice. fine. Yeah. I would have liked to be on them, but <laughs> no, that's a bad idea. I know condition. exactly. <laughs> you know, what the one thing the one thing is actually that really prevents me from doing it is that I. I feel so badly. I would feel terribly if I pass this on to someone else. Yeah. Like whenever I go out into public, I'm like, I should not be out in public because I should not get anyone else sick. No. Or you should start wearing and so, a face mask. Yeah. Like in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So my whole thing is like, I generally just haven't been going out at all. I've literally like sequestered myself for three days. Oh, Corn- so now your room is like the sick room. Oh, it yeah. Probably has you, that I, sick smell. I opened, <laughs> I opened up the door the other day and yeah. I was like, oh. <gasps> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Open a window. Oh. Air that shit out. <laughs> but then you're freezing cold, right? So you're cold anyway. You have the flu. You're got I, chills. I, there's a certain amount of misery I will only uh, tolerate. 
I think even even my dog's been sleeping with my mom lately. I think yeah. that's how bad. Oh God. So well, animals animals can sense these things. Mm-hmm. Right. He also can sense that I'm like in agony, and he's like, "Peace out." Yeah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's he's actually sometimes very loyal, but he's just like mm, other opportunities await me. I'll just yeah. swear. I've been I've been good enough lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what else has been going on? I don't think anything else has really been going on. I had a uh, weird moment of, I don't know, coincidence, synchronicity. I'm not really sure what the word is. And it's kind of on topic with today's topic. Did you join a cult? I did not join a cult, but I was listening. I was listening to... You went to Switzerland. I did not go to Switzerland. I wish. You went to Quebec and then to Switzerland. No. <laughs> I'm going to keep on going here. Until you cut me off. I was listening to NPR politics podcast, and they were talking about Trump. Wait, wait, if we plug them, they plug us, right? Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> <laughs> and they were talking about Trump and kind of the way he behaves and all the rest of it, uh, and people kind of fleeing the sinking ship and all this other crap, and nobody wants to work for him. Uh, and I'm like, he sounds like a cult leader. And it yeah. sounds like like his inner circle is like a little cult. And then yesterday, I this article popped up in my newsfeed specifically about the Trump cult. I'm like, oh wow, <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> well, I mean, also like I the the research that I did directly pertains to this, and they have a case. Uh, it's a case kind of they use a case to emphasize the point in the article that I read. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's, it does has nothing to do with Trump, but you'll see exactly why Trump is, yes, very much uh, a cult. A cult leader, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll segue right now into our topic this week. Which and is what's our topic this week, Rachel? The Solar Temple. Oh, is it a temple made of sun? It is not. <laughs> I think One the, the, actual, mirrors, I think the literal temple part was actually like the basement. So... <laughs> solar in the sense that they kind of worshipped a planet that revolved around Sirius so and that's and the Sirius is a sun Sirius is a star not just a radio XM not thing. no they did not <laughs> worship satellite radio <laughs> wasn't around back then look I just think we have to come <laughs> just be real clear about that <laughs> I want no misconception here. <laughs> okay, so our story begins and ends in Morn Heights, which is a small town in the Laurentians, I guess north and kind of west of Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact, Morn Heights once had a world-class recording studio called Le Studio. Oh, after the name. <laughs> I know, which uh, was used by the Hip, Rush, Bare Naked Ladies, Sting, The Police... Wow. Wow. Stones, David Bowie, and oh. your personal favorite, Gowan. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for saving that for last. Of course I did. <laughs> for the listener out there, that is very much an inside joke. Someone once signed me up for a Gowan, Gowan fan, fan club without me knowing, and you I know. got all these emails <laughs> trying to like hook up and go for coffee with other Gowan fans, and it very much confused me. It was a great prank. Kudos to my sister who did Brilliant it to me. Brilliant prank. But... 
<laughs> yeah, very, very well done. Harmless and yet annoying and entertaining. Those are my favorite kinds of pranks where nobody gets hurt, but it's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's a little bit of a time suck, but it's also just funny. <laughs> it's very funny. So anyway, on the morning of December 4, 1994, a large fire destroyed a condo owned by a Frenchman named Joseph de Mambro. Uh, once the fire was out and investigators could enter the building, they found two burned bodies in an upstairs bedroom. And since DeMambro owned the place, they initially assumed the bodies belonged to him and his business partner, a Belgian named Luc Jure. DeMambro and Jure had spent a lot of time in Canada, pretty much living there throughout, I guess, like the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, and oh, at one point, they'd even been under investigation by the police. Oh, there you go. Uh, but the bodies weren't DeMambro and Jura. In fact, one of them was female. Her name was Colette Genoux, and the male body was her husband, Jerry, and they were a Swiss couple. So that just tells you, kind of, I guess, how badly burned these bodies were, like in such wow. a state that they didn't even know initially that one of them was female. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the Genoux weren't the only ones found in the condo. Inside a downstairs closet were two more bodies, another oh. man and a woman, Tony Dutois, who is also Swiss, and his wife, Nancy Robinson Dutois, who is actually English. The mm. Dutois had a baby boy, and he was found behind the water heater. Oh. Yeah. Behind the water heater? Yes. Like, why bother at that point? Well, we'll get there. All right. Uh, an, autopsy, sorry, an autopsy would show the Genoux died in the fire, but the Dutois did not. In fact, they had been dead about three days before mm. the condo went up in flames. Uh, so I'm sure you're asking yourself, who were these people and how did they come to die in a small town in Quebec? Yeah, well, it's more like the nationality things, like the, the Swiss connection, I think, is the more curious one than anything else. Well, here we go. Okay, so they all belong to... Are you ready? Brace yourselves? Brace, yeah, are you sitting down for this? They all <laughs> this belong is pretty messed up. <laughs> to the Order of the Solar Temple, a quasi-religious organization, or cult, founded in 1984 in Geneva, Switzerland, by de Mambro and Jura. Initially, they called themselves the Ordre International Chevaleresque de Tradition Solaire. Wow. And then changed their name to Ordre du Temple Solaire. I guess the other one was a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So you're trying to convert people is really difficult when yeah. they walk away before you're done <laughs> finishing the name of your cult. Exactly. Yeah, if you think about it, it's like Heaven's Gate. Like, all of them are very simple. Yes. Yeah, they, so I guess they really had to just refine their marketing. It, well, it worked because they were a pretty big deal for a little while there. Uh, okay, so this guy, Jure, he was a medical doctor and gained prominence as a homeopath. I thought this was interesting. He's Belgian, but he was born in the Congo. Well, I mean, the Belgian Congo. Yeah, because, yeah, right, because they used to own it, I suppose. But just like, I don't know, how many people well, do you hear of were actually I wouldn't say own. owned? Well, how many people do you know of who are Belgian but born in africa uh no one yeah so i don't know i just thought that was interesting uh where was i okay a homeopath right he was so successful that he had patients fly across the atlantic to see him 
Judah expanded from just practicing homeopathy to speaking about it at meetings and conferences on the French-speaking New Age movement. So he was part mm-hmm. of this, like, circuit. Uh, these speaking engagements brought him to Canada. And in 1987, he was paid by Hydro-Quebec to be a motivational speaker for the company. And between 1987 and 1989, he recruited, like, 15 executives and managers into his little circle of uh, followers, I guess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Giraudet was ca- uh, charismatic, he was good at attracting followers, and his most, faithful, his most faithful patients and conference attendees were introduced to his more esoteric ideas. Right. So publicly, Giraudet lectured... That's, that's usually the way these cults roll. They're right? not just like right off the bat, like, let's hook, line, and singer with death by <laughs> right. lighting ourselves on fire and putting a baby behind Peter. So the end is nigh. Except for the, and... se- <laughs> except for the second date. Right. Don't talk about your therapist on the first, first date. date. No. Nope. <laughs> um, publicly, Giraudet lectured on healthy living through diet. That was his big thing. Right. Uh, but in secret, he spoke about the end of the world. And the uh, OST, or Solar Temple, was a secret society. It was sort of like this group within a group within an organization kind of thing. Um, and in my readings, was often referred to as a Chinese box, um, which is kind of like one thing inside of another. Right. Racist. Uh, <laughs> does it make me a racist? I think it's Next a thing re- you're going to refer to as Russian dolls. Russian dolls. <laughs> Russian nesting dolls. Uh, when the European journalists caught wind of its existence, Jurda's speaking engagements uh, dried up. And this is around the time they kind of transplanted to Quebec. So this is in the late 80s. It's like, we need a place where we can hide from the police and still recruit into our cult. Where are we going to go? Hmm, let me put my finger <laughs> yeah, on the... Yeah, uh, <laughs> there we go. The Laurentians. Perfect. Yeah, hey, I hear Sting's there. <laughs> oh, I'm in. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Big fan of Rush. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of time on my hands. So, oh, have you heard of this guy, Gowan? <laughs> <laughs> He's a strange animal. <laughs> I told you. I saw he's in this movie called Wolf Cop 2. Yes, he I did. I told you, you about that? Yeah. <laughs> I took a picture, didn't I, of him with his pants down? I sent uh, it yes, to you? you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he caught down with his pants down. Uh, I completely lost my spot. Okay, the OST <laughs> moved to Quebec. A headquarters were established in Saint-Anne-de-la... I wrote Saint-Anne-de-la-Parade. I don't think that's right. Whatever. Another small town in Quebec. Um, they opened up a center in St. Sever and these two chalets are purchased in Morin Heights and which were the personal residences for Jura and Demambro. Okay. So while Luc Jura spoke or preached, Demambro led the cult in their rituals. These two men met in the early 1980s. Both were moving within new age circles. Uh, and both either founded or belonged to other esoteric orders. So they were both kind of into the secret society thing before mm-hmm. uh, they got together. Uh, when Demambro invited Judah to lecture to his organization, the two discovered their mutual interests uh, and then founded what became the Order of the Solar Temple. 
Uh, do, do, do. Okay, so what do I have here? I don't know. What do you have there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have something here that says that the move to Canada resulted in a decrease of numbers for the cult. Well, I mean, uh, joining a cult's one thing. Moving across, you know, the pond is quite another. Well, I mean, Plus, I mean, like Jim Jones, he got a ton of people it. to move to where were they? Ghana. So where did they move from? The states. Yeah, so that's a totally different thing. How is that the a different thing? The states to Ghana because Switzerland has awesome chocolate. <laughs> and <laughs> the states doesn't, so why bother yeah, staying exactly. there? Exactly. <laughs> so it's a no fucking brainer, Rachel. <laughs> so I don't know how. Uh, how much? And the cheese? <laughs> oh my god, Alpenzeller? Are you kidding me? That shit's delicious. And the breakfast they have with the cheese? Oh, so good. Okay, all right, you've made your point. Fondue <laughs> with truffle in it? Oh my god, so good. Yeah, but Quebec has poutine. Yeah, but yeah, no. no, not not equivalent. I'm not gonna diss poutine. I do like poutine, but I'm just saying that there's way more than one dish that would keep me in Switzerland. Tim Hortons? No. Mm-mm, not no, going to do not it. Not lately. Not since they changed. Well, I they changed, here's... They okay. their coffee and their they food. So here's the thing. So yeah, so Tim Hortons got purchased by an American company and they have a different source now for their coffee. Oh. McDonald's now uses the old Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons coffee. Yeah, so and I that's why everybody now. loves McCafe because it's yeah. Tim Hortons coffee. Yeah, I go to I go to McCafe now. It's cheaper, yeah. A, and it's better, B. So I thought I didn't know that. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. But so. the food stuff is like their food is just terrible now at, at Tim Hortons. Tim like Hortons. I rem- like when I was in high school, you used to be able to get like hearty soups and like good stuff. And now it's just crap. I know. I, I like those breakfast wraps. I know. Sorry, Tim Ho-Ho's. <laughs> you broke my heart. We've been on a lot of road trips together, but now it's just. It's basically over between us. It's, basically, it's just a necessity. Oh, huh. I'm so sad. Uh, wah, wah. Anyway, <laughs> okay, so they lost a lot of members. They lost some members when they moved to Canada. Um, I don't know how much faith you can put in these numbers. It says here, before the move, I guess they're around a thousand people, and after the move, they're between two and three hundred. Mm-hmm. And then this is sort of in the late eighties, and then the early into the early nineties. It says here they only had about a hundred hardcore followers left. I don't know about that. I think the numbers are, might be a little bit higher, considering how many people died. Yeah. Also, maybe they moved and recruited more once they were there. Oh, certainly. Yeah. The, I'm sure the recruiting never ended. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to that extent. And also, like, you look at something like uh, Heaven's Gate, and they had members years later that were still affected and followed yeah. the Credence, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see. OST is the same kind of thing going on. Uh, all right. So in March 1991, two OST members were arrested in Quebec while trying to buy semi-automatic guns with silencers, which are illegal in this country. Uh, one, of the, yeah, one of the men was an engineer uh, and a project manager for Hydro Quebec. So one of these executives. I, I needed. Recruited. I needed to like build and design my next project. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I need this machine gun and suppressor to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I'm I'm testing tensile strengths. <laughs> oh, that's not a thing, tensile strengths with guns, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Anyway, go on. Okay, so one of these guys was this Hydro Quebec executive. 
And uh, a police officer was also involved in this and who was an um, OST member as well. Hmm. So he... he Always got, try to recruit the popo. Well, for sure. You want them on your side. He was mm-hmm. suspended temporarily for having helped these two guys try to buy these guns. Um, and these they said that Luke Judah had asked them to make the purchase. So these two dudes and Judah were all uh, arrested. Judah was out of the country at the time. Uh, but he actually did fly back to Canada to appear in court. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all given like a suspended sentence, essentially, uh, and were fined $1,000 each, which they had to give to the Red Cross. Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't think I've ever I like it when that, that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but... But, but still. It's just a plane ticket. But yeah, but like, you know, give it, your fine goes to a charity as opposed to like court fees no 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 no. i think yeah no i agree i'd like it yeah okay so there was this like kind of exodus i guess that happened in the late 80s or early 90s and people had been leaving the cult periodically Mm -hmm. uh throughout its existence which will happen which happens right so the dutois uh the murdered couple at the start of this story they were among the people who had left the cult but not because of the move to canada the dutois had a falling out with the ost in switzerland both of them had been close to Demambro. Nikki, the wife, she was a governess to Demambro's daughter. Her name's Emmanuel. And Tony, the husband, he engineered the light show that played during the OST's rituals. Mm-hmm. So during their rituals, Demambro, he would create miracles and these sacred objects would appear during the ritual. And it was all this like, uh, elaborate sort of laser light smoke and mirrors kind of thing that this guy right. Tony organized and built. Right. Uh, the Dutois left the cult for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Tony found out about the OST's revenue stream, mm-hmm. which was money laundering, gun smuggling, and possibly drugs. Uh, secondly, DeMambro forbade Nikki from getting pregnant. Why? Because that's it's a control method. Cult leaders like to do this. They control their people's thoughts and their bodies. She had. No, I was just wondering if there was like aside from just the control element, if there's any particular type of doctrine involved in that one. No, I think he's just an asshole. Right. And she had miscarried once already, and then he's so never mind the fact that she's sort of dealing with having lost a baby. He's like, no more babies for you. Right. Uh, but Nikki got pregnant. Against Amambro's wishes, uh, so she and her husband left the cult, and they moved to Canada, in fact. Uh, but not before Tony told anyone who would listen about Amambro's miracles and how those worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were sort of spilling cult secrets, uh, and then they they hightailed it out of Switzerland. Nikki gave birth to a boy in 1993 <laughs> and named him Emmanuel. Nice. <laughs> Demembro, obviously furious. Uh, this is an attack on his authority. She completely undermined his orders by getting pregnant in the first place. So he ordered the Dutois to be symbolically executed. He carried on about how this little boy was kind of their version of the Antichrist, essentially. And so he had to be taken out. 
Right. A fanatic named Joel Egger was chosen for the job. Egger lived in Montreal, and at the end of September 1994, he drove to Morin Heights, where he met up with the Genou and another cultist named Dominique Bellaton. Um, should be noted here, Dominique was Emmanuel de Mambro's mother. And so she had been close to Nikki because Nikki was the governess to that little girl. Right. And like, even though the Dutois had left the cult, they were still friendly with some of these people. On September 30th, the Dutois arrived at de Mambro's condo, having been invited to dinner by Dominique. Despite, yeah, as I said, despite leaving the cult, still friendly with OST members. Um, so nothing weird about this dinner invitation. At some point in the evening, Edgar lured Tony into the basement where he struck him on the head before slashing his throat and stabbing him repeatedly in the back. Wow. Uh, Edgar then went upstairs and attacked Nikki. Uh, I think he, like, stabbed her in the chest a bunch of times. Like, mm-hmm. like no bones about it. Like, uh, like overkill for both of these people. Uh, once Nikki was dead, oh, this is awful, Edgar turned his attention to the baby. Um, I'll say this. Because the baby needed to die in a ritualistic fashion, mm-hmm. the baby was stabbed with a wooden stick. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I'm just going to leave it at that because it's awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the body is removed into the closet, and then this baby, I guess because it didn't deserve the dignity of being stashed in a closet, was put behind the water heater. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Dominique told the Genoux to torch the building. Then she and Edgar flew back to Zurich. And I don't know if Dominique's orders meant the Genoux were supposed to burn themselves when they burned the condo. Uh, but the OST believed in a fiery death as kind of like the key to their salvation. Right. So the Genou, uh, like other members of the cult, believed their destiny was this planet orbiting Sirius. And the only way to get there was to burn. So it's sort of transit by fire. Mm-hmm. Right. A conversion of energy or something, right? Something along those lines, yeah. Mm. In early October, the Genou hung gas-filled garbage bags from doorknobs placed time firebombs around the condo, took a bunch of pills, and then waited for the fire to take them. Oh. Yeah, so they were most likely alive. If there's a way to die, being burned alive is by far my most, like, feared. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you... I mean, people who die in house fires, it's usually like smoke inhalation. Smoke inhalation, they, yeah, they knock it, get knocked out but first, but still, like, mm. it's gonna fucking hurt. Mm-hmm. You can, yeah. Ugh. Blah. Okay, the house fire in Quebec coincided with a mass suicide, which took place at an OST chalet in the Swiss Alps. So, like, within a day of each other, these two incidents happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in Switzerland, among the dead were a number of Canadians, including the mayor of Richelieu, which is a town outside of Montreal. I know that one. Yeah. Um, dead, too, were Joseph de Mambro and Luc Schurda. So there is a lot you can read about um, the, the mass suicide or murder-suicide, as it's often referred to in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a pretty big deal because we're talking like... I think upwards of 50 people. Wow. Died in that fire. Yeah. 
Okay, so three years later, after much of the fur about the OST had died down, a house in St. Casimir, Quebec, caught fire. Five adults died, all of whom were members of the Solar Temple. So, just this massive... So what's the death count on this one? Like, 60-something? It's, yeah. Like, all... Because there was... After Switzerland, there was another murder-suicide... This one is definitely murder-suicide because... Some of them had been shot. Right. And that was in France. And they had organized themselves in a circle. And those, I guess, who are unwilling to self-immolate were shot in the head and then set on fire. Right. So we're get, it's not in the hundreds yet. Um, I think it ends up somewhere in the 60s. Mm-hmm. But still, it's a lot of people to give up their lives for this cult. Um, so this fi- this house fire in St. Casimir, five adults died. Uh, like those who went before them, they intended to ride the flames to Sirius, but when their homemade bombs didn't explode, they turned to plan B, which was to swallow tranquilizers, lie down in the shape of a cross, and just set themselves on fire. As you do. Three teenagers escaped the blaze, having first caught wind of the suicide pact uh, in the days before it happened, and they escaped into the garage so these adults were willing to kill their children yep that's how devoted and dedicated they were to this belief system this cult uh and that's yeah pretty much where the story ends for canada because like the leaders had died there's nobody to prosecute right it's just there's no there's no legal recourse because everybody's dead none it's just this really sad story about a bunch of people who got essentially brainwashed mm-hmm. uh, into killing themselves. Nice. Yeah. Well, do you want me to go on my side of things? Yeah, let's hear about groupthink and why people join cults and believe in this stuff where it seems so fanciful and outrageous. But this cult had, like, they appealed to middle-class people, people with education, people with money, mm-hmm. uh, but who, for whatever reason, were susceptible to Luke Shuda and Joseph DeMambro's ideas. Right. So groupthink isn't really about like how you get into a cult. It's kind of like how they keep you in a cult. Hmm. Like how you can be. And they actually used the Challenger disaster, the space shuttle Challenger disaster. And I got this off of the University of Washington. Yeah. Um, Because groupthink is, uh, so there's eight elements to it, according to this article. One is the illusion of invulnerability. To the belief in inherent morality of the group, collective rationalization, and I'll go into these more specifically in a bit. Four outgroup stereotypes, uh, five self censorship, six illusion of unanimity, seven direct pressure on the dissenters, and eight self appointed mind guards. How does this have to do with the Challenger disaster? Well, here you go. Well, we can also relate it to our next. We can learn many things now. All right, let's do. All right, I'm just going to read this because it's easier. My brain is still not functioning at the highest capacity right now. All right. One, so the illusion of invulnerability. Um, despite the launch pad fire that killed three astronauts in 1967 and a close call of Apollo 13, the American space program had never experienced an in-flight fatality. When engineers raised the possibility of a catastrophic O-ring below by, NASA manager George Hardy nonchalantly pointed out that the risk was true of every other flight we've had. Um, this is summarized, this attitude is summarized as everything is going to work out all right because we are a special group. 
<laughs> Two, belief in the inherent morality of the group. Under the sway of groupthink, members automatically assume the rightness of their cause. Obviously, in cults, this is the case, mm-hmm. right? Um, at the hearing, engineer Brian Russell noted that Nassau managers had shifted the moral rules under which they operated. I had the distinct feeling that we are in the position of having to prove that it was unsafe instead of the other way around. Three, collective rationalization. Despite the written policy, the O-ring seal was a critical failure point, failure point without backup. And I didn't know that, actually. Nassau manager George Hardy testified, we were counting on the secondary O-ring to be sealing the O-ring under the worst case conditions. Apparently, this was a bad, badly shared misconception. Nassau manager Lawrence Mulroy, or Malloy confirmed that no one in the meeting questioned the fact that the secondary seal was capable and in position to seal during the early part of the ignition transient. This collective rationalization supported a mindset of hear no evil, speak no evil, see no evil. <laughs> Outgroup stereotypes. This is a big one for cults, too. Oh, yeah. Um, although there is no direct evidence that NASA officials looked down on the uh, Thikol engineers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know like Not T- a rocket scientist. I-O-K-O-L. <laughs> I'm assuming that's like maybe Russian. I don't know. Um, and Malloy was caustic about their recommendation to postpone the launch until the temperature rose to 53 degrees. He reportedly asked whether they expected NASA to wait until April to launch a shuttle. Like, wow, way to be a jerk. Wow. Like, why not wait until April? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's only like a couple billion dollars anyway. Self-censorship. We all know that. I guess it's like a company. Thycol engineer George McDonald wanted to postpone the flight, but instead of clearly stating, I recommend we don't launch below 50 degrees, he offered an equivocal opinion. He suggested that lower temperatures are in the direction of badness for both O-rings. What do they think they should do? From his tempered words, it's hard to tell. So essentially, he just didn't want to rock the boat. Yeah. So, and that help it, that, that happens in a lot of group situations. But you can also think of this in the terms of Trump too, right? <laughs> Illusion of unanimity. Uh, NASA managers perpetuated the fiction that everyone was fully in, accor- in accord on the launch recommendation. They admitted to the Presidential Commission that they didn't re- they didn't report Thaikul's on-again, off-again hesitancy with their superiors. As often happens in such cases, the Flight Readiness Review Team interpreted silence as an agreement. Right. Direct pressure on the dissenters. Thaikul engineers felt pressure from two directors to reverse their no-go recommendation. NASA managers had already postponed the launch three times, more fearful the American public would regard the agency as inept. Undoubtedly, that strain triggers Hardy's retort as he was appalled at Thaikul's recommendation. Similarly, the company's, misman- or the company's management was fearful of losing future NASA contracts. When they went offline for, for the caucus, Thaikul's senior vice president urged Roger Lund, vice president of engineering, to take off his engineering hat and put on his management hat. Hmm. Eight, self-appointed mind guards. Mind guards protect a leader from the assault by troublesome ideas. I think we all know groups like this. (laughs) NASA managers insulated Jesse Moore uh, from the debate over the integrity of the rocket booster seals, even though Roger Boyce Jolly, I don't even know how to pronounce that, was Thaikul's expert on O-rings, he later bemoaned that he was not even asked to participate in giving input to the final decision charts. Yeah. So the self-appointed mind guards would also be known as like gatekeepers, like people that you have to access to access someone. Okay. Okay. So, and these are all kind of, uh, so if you're looking at a group and they all display these types of control mechanisms, it's probably not a great place to be, or it could be a cult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like, 
I guess, like, with respect to Solar Temple, um, they sort of... They weren't... Not that I'm, like, a huge expert about this stuff, but they really kept themselves to themselves. Um, and they weren't as... I mean, they were destructive, certainly, because they had this... They were um, apocalyptic. But you hear about other cults that sort of devolve into abuse. Yes, like you like the um, David Koresh and that type of thing. And that kind of thing. Or like we saw last season Charles Manson or... with the Anthill kids. Yeah. Right? Which also started off as like kind of... Solar temple Well, so like this sort of idea of like healthy living or living off the land or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that devolved into just this like he was a crazy person who fancied himself a surgeon and then just used... Uh, the threat of abuse to control people and then actual abuse to control people. And his followers sort of, yeah, they had all of these rationalizations and solar temple didn't necessarily have a lot of that stuff going on. But at the same time, it's like, I think there might've been a real in group out group dynamic mm-hmm. that kept a lot of people inside the organization. That's like, we're privy to special knowledge that you don't know about and we have our rituals and our leader performs miracles and it's all very special and it's only for us because they were very secretive about the rituals mm-hmm. um, and only some people were allowed to con- like not even everyone in the cult I think was allowed to um, participate in these rituals from what I understand of their structure yeah um, so yeah so I can see how the in-group out-group thing would definitely work uh, in the cult's favor. Um, and then this idea of like dissenting opinions, it's like, we don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. The one thing I have to say, though, for the Swiss and the French Canadians, there is one thing they all have in common, is that the rest of Europe makes fun of their accents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that was a driving force <laughs> behind the just, I'm just saying, institution. You, you, don't, you don't know that. You're right, I don't. <laughs> anyway, Rach, do you have a crazy crime for us? Uh, I do have a crazy crime for you. Okay, this, this happened in Colorado. This dude, he wants to rob an e-cigarette shop. Oh, God. <laughs> so- Sorry. Low bar. I know, right? So he walks... The, this whole thing is on camera. He walks in, pulls out his gun, but when he, like, whips it out of his pants, it flies out of his hand <laughs> across the counter. And so he, like, makes a move to jump over the counter and go after it, but then he changes his mind and just bolts for the door, and he, like, jumps and does this little jump kick to open the door, and his pants start falling down. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just see him running away trying to like hike up his pants um it wasn't a real gun it was a bb gun uh so it's lucky for the the woman who worked in the shop but it's just like mm-hmm. this sort of very sad series of events well happy for the owners <laughs> of the store but sad right. but sad, bad day for the robber but yeah maybe you want to like rehearse those moves ahead of time just saying <laughs> or wear pants that fit <laughs> wear pants that fit Oh, man. Well, I got something for you. All right, let's hear it. Uh, so, Rachel, have you ever been to Quebec? 
Like, you know that I have many well, times. Yeah, you've been there with me, actually. <laughs> I live um, next door to Quebec. <laughs> nice. Have you been to Montreal? Yeah. yeah. I don't think we've been to Montreal together, actually. Uh, no, we talk about it all the time, but it's never happened. I know. Have you ever sworn in Montreal? Yes. And if you were swearing, which language was it in? I would be swearing in English. Oh, well, then you're okay, because it's only illegal to swear in French. <laughs> really? That's what this article's telling me. <laughs> oh, that's funny. This is from discovercanadianlawyers.ca. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I'd imagine it's because a lot of French... Canadian swearing has to do it's with based the, on the church. It has to do with the church. So that may be why it's illegal. Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably made in like the 1700s and never taken off the books. That's pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> good to know. Next time we go to Montreal, swear in English. I will keep swearing. Keep swearing. I'll in just English. keep swearing in English. <laughs> no tabernacle for you. <laughs> SD. Callis. That's all I got oh, for it this week. What, so do you have anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by writing to us at truenorthcrimepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at TNC underscore POD. And you can also check us out on Facebook at True North Crime Pod. So the same as our Gmail. We're out there. We're easy to find. Yeah, you can you can find us. Yeah, let us know what's up. Mm -hmm. So, I guess for this week, I've been Shelly. <laughs> you guess. Maybe yeah, not, I guess though. So. <laughs> I guess, although I'm totally out of it most of the time. <laughs> I've been Rachel. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I guess stay safe out there. Yep. Yeah, and don't swear in French in Montreal. Mm -hmm.